Ladies and gentlemen, looks like we are good and live. How's everyone doing? I'm Jason Lindgren. Welcome to the Secrets of Saturn live stream, the weekly event, as it were. Got another full house this time. We are having, of course, Wayne McCroy, who's always here with me. Crow Triple Seven is dropping in. Dr. Andy Kaufman is back. And we also have Clive DeCarl. So we have a lot of stuff to go over. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm going to take one moment out here and do our weekly sponsor of Randy from Houston. So everyone hang tight for one moment. Did you know that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improved fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to LowerTheFriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's LowerTheFriction.com. Alrighty, that's our friend Randy from Houston's little company that he started, and if anybody uses the product, we want to hear from you, because we want to hear your results. But, moving on. <clears throat> Alright, is everybody hearing everything good? Everyone here present and accounted for? Present. Here. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Yep. Alright, I hear my Bueller. cat already is at my door wanting to come in. Okay, Bueller. so... Anybody who uh, has been here for a little while knows that uh, Dr. Kaufman was on with us a few weeks back. And what we're going to start with are five questions that I kind of boiled down from a whole bunch of the comments that we were getting. And obviously he's not here to answer all those questions on my channel, so we thought this would be an interesting way to start things off and uh, hopefully get some questions answered. So let me pull up the questions. 
you know, Jason, we should all get together and get Dr. Kaufman a Target t-shirt. You, you stop at Target, Dr. Kaufman. <laughs> I, I've already got one, I think. Uh, yeah. I want to start wearing that. Yeah, we feel for you, man, because goodness knows you keep shaking those tree branches. What kind of coconuts are going to bonk you on the head? Not the kind you eat, anyhow. <laughs> By the way, I see I, a I've had of... my trials and tribulations, but it's been a fun <laughs> ride, I have to say. Thank you already for the super chats I see coming in. I'll get to those as soon as I can. I want to get this show on the road while we have time. So we're going to start with the five questions. The first one, if COVID-19 is not a virus, what is making everyone all over the place sick right now and causing the governments of the entire world to put things on lockdown? I think that boils that whole concept down in one neat little package, do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, whatever is uh, causing the lockdown, it's not related to any illness. So that that's the simple part of that answer. Um, but I don't actually see any evidence that there's anything that's getting anyone ill beyond the usual uh, things that get people ill every year. Um, in fact, uh, in the United States this year, the, the all-cause mortality is substantially down, like 30% lower than last year. So actually, less people are dying, and uh, I can talk about some possible reasons for that, but uh, I don't see any evidence of a new disease. Now, the one stipulation I will make is there have been a couple of reports uh, of a couple of discrete places where there might be people um, who are uh, sick or dying of something that appears to be a unique illness. And I think uh, some of those cases are explained actually by how they're using uh, ventilators um, in the hospital to address this situation. Uh, they have uh, changed protocols uh, of how they uh, would work with a patient in some kind of respiratory distress. And um, it's actually interesting that if you apply ventilators to a person who's healthy or doesn't really need it, you actually cause significant injury and there's a significant mortality rate around 14 or 15%. So there may be some people that are having ventilator-related injury because they're being put on the, the ventilator prematurely and inappropriately. The measures that would normally be tried first and sort of titrated up to a full ventilator are now not being used at all uh, for, not, for, for no clear reasons. Um, so I think that there may be some people who are suffering from that. But overall, uh, as we speak, there's there's no evidence of any excess mortality uh, beyond the usual numbers. Yeah, that's one of the big things I definitely would like to address is, are there more supposed deaths uh, than there normally would be at this time of year? And I've been hearing a lot of people saying, no, in fact, there aren't. So is, is that, uh, are there some statistics or anything we can point someone to? Or how would you, how would you want to address that, Dr. Kaufman? Yeah, well, um, you know, one thing, the, the reason why it's important to just look at the overall or all-cause mortality is because the way that they're recording uh, deaths related to COVID is really uh, um, a sham. So in other words, the CDC and other health agencies have instructed doctors to put anything that is suspicious for COVID as a COVID-related death, even if there's not even a test. So, and they're even instructed not to perform a test if the person dies uh, post-mortem, they're supposed to just label them as a COVID death. So these numbers are totally skewed. There have been uh, reports of people with uh, lung cancer being deaths being called COVID or even Alzheimer's deaths and a variety of other things. So 
you can't look at the individual numbers uh, for, that are attributed to COVID and, and get any accurate accounting of what's going on. And that's why you look at the total mortality uh, numbers. And, you know, so the numbers I've looked at are generally from like the CDC, at least for the United States. And um, it's a little bit challenging to find on their website, but you can find the information and um, you can look at all the numbers. There's a week by week uh, numbers that they give. So you could you look at the year to date mortality in 2020 and compare it to the several uh, past years and see that the numbers are actually uh, quite low. You know, I, I got to add in, though, if you consider how many people die in traffic accidents in this country and then you take a third of the year where the streets are basically empty, that one statistic alone, I imagine, would really skew downward um, the death rate uh, to the point where they're now touting places like New Delhi and L.A. have the, the purest skies you can imagine. There's no <laughs> smog in the air. So, I mean, if that's a true claim, we can imagine that the number of vehicle deaths has probably plummeted. Absolutely. And I think the other big factor besides that is um, actually because people don't have access to the hospital um, or health care. And uh, we know at least a very conservative estimate of health care related deaths uh, based on a study of medical errors from Johns Hopkins and another study from the Journal of the American Medical Association on prescription drug deaths, that uh, deaths from those causes is at least the third leading cause of death in the country. And we know that most people die in the hospital. So not having access to those services and not having access to the hospital would reduce the, the, those deaths substantially. And I think that's actually quite a much bigger number than the motor vehicle accidents because it would uh, account for 378,000 deaths a year on average, uh, which makes it the third leading cause of death uh, for the country. Now, Dr. Kaufman, there was something I wanted to address I saw earlier today, and maybe you could speak on this if you, if you know for sure about it or not. Uh, the New York Post today was reporting that uh, New York State has now ordered a do not resuscitate order for anybody going in and uh, having uh, cardiac problems. Uh, I find that a bit concerning. And do you know, is this in any way related to the whole COVID thing? And are they trying to classify those deaths as COVID related as well? Wow, I haven't heard about that, but that is uh, certainly um, a major travesty. I mean, uh, people always have, uh, in fact, uh, generally speaking, the it's always been the default to do full uh, resuscitation and advanced life-saving measures, and you have to specifically request to be a DNR. So that's a major policy change. Um, the You know, off the top of my head, since I'm you're surprising me with this information, um, it would definitely uh, increase the risk of death because uh, cardiac uh, issues is one of the things that actually you could uh, save someone through resuscitation, like if they have uh, ventricular fibrillation or things like that. So that's uh, really disturbing. I think it fits with some of the reports that I've gotten from uh, ambu uh, from paramedics and EMTs that they're instructed to shorten the duration of their CPR uh, attempts and actually to pronounce people dead, whereas before they would have a doctor in the hospital that they were communicating with uh, through telemetry do that. Um, so it, it sort of fits with that policy, and this would basically hasten people's deaths uh, to some degree. Clive, is there anything you'd like to... Uh, Didn't mean to catch you off guard. <laughs> no, no, no. Right, listen, uh, <laughs> I like the challenge, I Wayne. 
wondering so, if anybody else had seen that today. I saw that and I immediately found it deeply disturbing. So I thought that I'm, I'm pretty sure you're in New York State, right, Doc? So I thought maybe yeah. you would have heard something about that. Well, I'm going to definitely look up uh, that information right after this uh, chat. Cool. All right. And if anybody needs to chime in, I know there's a little bit of a lag. Just go right ahead and I'll shut up. Uh, I'd like to just say something about atrial fibrillation. Sure. Because it um, is easily fixed in most cases by using a simple, inexpensive supplement like magnesium. You know, <laughs> almost any pro problem that relates to the heart, you know, any uneven heartbeat, a few cents worth of magnesium uh, fixes it. And in fact, magnesium is my favorite mineral because I was in hospital 33 years ago. I took one antibiotic and I was in hospital for weeks. I couldn't walk anymore. I couldn't get dressed. And the doctors couldn't help me. They just gave up. I was, and I worked it out myself. I worked out that the, uh, the problem had been that I'd knocked out all the magnesium in my body. And I got wheeled out in a wheelchair, started taking magnesium, and I took vitamin C and supplements and I at that point I got arthritis so badly that my, my body looked like I was 90 and magnesium was the man the magic bullet along with vitamin C that really saved my life because the doctors thought I wouldn't pull through it wow crazy that uh, something as simple as nutrition has something to do <laughs> with your health I mean go figure right <laughs> All right, let's move along here. Second question, Dr. Kaufman. If people aren't sick and dying, even doctors and nurses, what about all of the dead bodies being reported on? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think they're staged uh, to make it appear that people are dying. Like, um, for example, uh, one thing that, that's definitely happening is because people don't have access to the hospital and generally people die at the hospital that some people who are very ill are going to be dying at home and so like if this occurs in your neighborhood and you know you see a hearse or a truck come around to pick up the bodies um, you know it's not what you're used to and it looks like there are more uh, dead bodies or people dying but actually it's not the case it's just that they're dying in a different location and now you're exposed to it whereas usually you're not exposed to it because it's in the hospital but I'll tell you that if you ever, you know, work in a hospital uh, under normal conditions, not the current conditions, and go down to the morgue, you see lots of bodies and they're being picked up by various funeral homes uh, throughout the day on a regular basis. So it's, it's not really uh, anything. I mean, I know it's, it's hard to, like, be exposed to see a bunch of dead bodies or, uh, um, you know, like um, in your presence or see videos of it. But I'll tell you that, uh, you know, a lot of people die every day. Uh, and that's and so there are, are dead bodies and it would be very easy to put them all in one location and make it look like there's something uh, new that's going on but but you know that's why once again you have to go back to the to the actual reported numbers of deaths and I, I'm not saying that they're hundred percent accurate but uh, I think that gives you a much better picture because if you had overall the death rate was lower than normal but you centralize the place where dead bodies are brought to, then it, it would give the appearance that there are excess deaths, but there are actually less deaths. Gotcha. You know, I think I, I think we could have answered that by asking a simple question in return. Does the news always tell the truth? Um, people, people <laughs> I, no, 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 Pro. The question is, when does the news tell the truth? 
well, as an example, <laughs> in, in the uh, in the main forum, one of the people in my main forum went out and recognized a uh, a funeral home that they were pushing on CNN. He knew where it was, so we went and he filmed it. They had police cars staged there, all kinds of like little set decoration pieces, and absolutely nothing was going on there. Um, then I think he visited a couple hospitals as well. It's the same story everywhere. It's all just window dressing. Yeah, big yeah, that's there. right. Uh, to to add to that thing though, I, I know a lot of folks are saying, "What about these giant refrigerated trailers that bodies are being loaded into?" I haven't seen any direct evidence of it, but I've heard people reporting on it. Do you know happen to know anything about that aspect of it? Well, I know, like at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, uh, they had one of these, and and um, it seemed like they. So that's a like a tiny little hospital, only a hundred beds in New York City, and you know there are hospitals that have 4,000 beds in New York City, just to give you an idea of how tiny that hospital is. And they showed some video like early on of it looking like it was overwhelmed uh, with patients. And then some people went there the next day with their cell phones and the hospital was totally empty. And they went around back where that truck was. It was like a white, uh, you know, 18 wheeler type of vehicle. And um, there was no one around. Like there was no one opening the door and putting more bodies in. It was like it was abandoned. So I, I think that was just, you know, those things are staged. Uh, there was another um, video I saw this morning that uh, actually was really good uh, by this respiratory therapist who was taking a big chance because he was filming inside the hospital and he showed some of the rooms where they're storing the uh, ventilators and such. And he was talking about the truck that's by his hospital. And he said that it's, it's basically empty. You know, you know, that brings up another question, though. Um, all these people in these hospitals have to be witnessing things. We've got to imagine that there's good, decent people working at hospitals. Um, and I'd like to remind them all, if they're listening to this, there is a tenant in common law. Um, it's about tacit permission. And if you see a thing you do not agree with and you do nothing about it, you have given your tacit permission. In other words, you are party to the very thing you don't appreciate. Um, and I think this is an important thing because we're seeing this in a lot of different places, not just hospitals. There's police officers. We, we, Jason and I just interviewed a guy who's on a volunteer fire department. When we were offline, I asked, uh, do the other firemen know what you know? And he said, hell yes, to a person. So this is no small, small group of people by any means that understand the fraud uh, of all this. I it. totally agree. I totally agree with that, Crow. And, you know, like there might be a mentality among some of those people. Well, that, you know, you're supposed to follow an order when it's given by your superior. But, you know, in my opinion, if you follow that order and it's the wrong thing to do, then you're you're actually, in my opinion, more responsible than the person who gave the order. Well, I'd like to add, in the military, you're told uh, as an enlisted person, which I was, anytime an officer gives you an order under law, under the Uniform Mil Military Code of Justice, you have to obey that law, with one exception, if it's an illegal order. Um, and the last thing I did uh, in Okinawa was disobey an order from the commander of headquarters battalion because he wanted me to take a series of three shots, and I was four months from leaving the Marine Corps. I refused it. My point here is that it doesn't matter if your boss tells you to do a thing. If you know it's not right, if you know it's illegal, if you know it's dishonest, I don't see any reason why you should even consider following that directive. Well, you know, there's a, there's a big risk. I mean, I'm sure that you got 
uh, in some kind of consequence. But like if you're a doctor right now and, uh, you know, you're going to defy what's going on in your hospital, then you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, um, that, that's where we are right now. And you can go all the way back to the 80s to read blueprints of what's happening now and how they're going to deal with it. And the idea that somehow there's going to be a roundup of people and where mental health falls in all this, like people who speak their minds are going to be declared crazy uh, and treated as if they were mental health patients. There's all these blueprints for what's gone down. But at the end of the day, this is simple. This is the biggest coup d'etat the world has ever seen. And it comes down to this. Will you stand by and watch it go down? Or will you stand for the things that you think are correct and right? And will you think about the generation behind you? Uh, people like you and I, Dr. Kaufman, we're here for a while longer. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see 80. Maybe you'll see 90. Maybe you'll even see 100. <laughs> You're a doctor, but I, I don't I'm, expect I'm trying. That. If I see 80, I'll count myself lucky with the youth that I led. My point being is there's millions of lives in this world that depend on what this generation does now. Well, I'll tell you, some folks are doing some good citizen journalism. Uh, our friend Rachel, who is uh, in the chat room as Rachel New York Truth, also has a YouTube channel. She's been going and doing filming and putting it up to show what's really going on. Our friend Brian Stavely, he's also got a channel. I think he's got a couple of channels, come to think of it. Uh, I know he's been putting stuff up, and I know there's others too, but uh, if anybody's in the chat room, those are folks you can check out immediately if you want to see them going down and actually doing the work that, that journalists are supposed to do, but we all know what the mainstream media is. So it's a bunch of puppycock. So, all right. By the way, Clive, uh, several people were asking who you were. They weren't familiar with you. Do you want to take a moment and talk about who you are and what you do so we can uh, fill them in? Well, sure. Um, I used to be in the contact lens business. I started, along with others, what became England's largest contact lens company. And uh, I sold it to Johnson & Johnson, and so this was about 30 years ago, and I wondered what to do with my life, and I've always been a bit of a, an activist, and really my prime motivation is to change the world, but I realized at this point that the world was so ill health-wise that I'd be better off trying to fix their health, and then they might listen to some of my more revolutionary ideas. And at that point, I was living in Spain. I had an organic farm going on. And um, I started studying hypnosis as the first thing. And I had a few hobbies. I started a, uh, a lie detector company, which um, we had software, Israeli software, which could read people's minds. It was all quite scary. And um, uh, so I've, I've done a lot of things. And then I started giving talks around England, teaching people about simple supplements, how to be well using vitamin D in winter and vitamin C and magnesium and iodine and various things. And then I started interviewing medical doctors and health experts around the world. And I've got a, a YouTube channel where I've got about 400 or so interviews. The only problem is that they are decreasing in number, although I pump them out every few days. Um, YouTube keep on taking them down and the UK government don't like what I'm doing very much. I think I'm the only person in England who currently is not allowed to use the words, um, I'll use them anyway, uh, <laughs> 5G, COVID-19 and coronavirus. I've actually been banned from using these words on YouTube and on my website. I mean, it's just incredible. Everybody's using these words except me, apparently. Um, so, uh, I'm alright. I'm in Mexico, so I don't really care. But, um, <laughs> 
I, I would quite <laughs> like to go back to England at some point. And uh, so, you know, so what I do is I, I give consultations to clients from time to time, and I make lots of videos. I've just, funnily enough, interviewed uh, Andy Kaufman here just, just an hour ago. And, um, uh, you know, my aim is to try and wake people up to the stupidity of what's going on, because, I mean, clearly, this whole thing is a farce. You know, there, there isn't, as, as Andy said, you know, there, no, nobody's really dying, no more than they usually do. It's a massive, as Crow said, it's a massive coup d'etat. They've, they've won already. I mean, World War Three is over unless we can reverse things, you know, and nobody's even noticed, you know. I mean, I hate that word sheeple, you know. But, but they're, they're not sheep anymore, they're just lemmings. They're just going straight over the cliff, as far as I can see. Sadly. And they're all frightened out of their wits. You know, it's, I, hard, it's hard to get away from the TV when you can't get your own diapers off. So we'll, maybe we'll give them a little pass. <laughs> you know, I hate to steal the, the term from Alex Jones, but I actually think it's appropriate. World War Three is basically an info war, or an information and data war. And that's what they've used against everybody. Well, absolutely. And, I mean, while I'm not the hugest fan of Alex Jones, you know, he called his thing the prison planet, and that's pretty much what we are. You know, everybody's marsh marshal lord, and you know, they, they call it lockdown, but they're not locked down, they're locked up. Well, well when he, you, he got when that you get from the Dune. cliff notes, you know, <laughs> he, he gets the cliff notes, so he knows what to say. That he does. But Alex Jones took prison plant, planet from the book Dune, your, your favorite science fiction book there, Crow. Yeah, um, there's a lot to learn in the world, but unfortunately we've gotten so far past this, and when we got into the new millennium and we started downing the next generation with the moniker millennials, uh, what we actually did is we dropped the ball as parents. And not only did we drop the ball as parents, we dropped the ball as adult human beings, and we got sucked into this kind of entertainment digital wonderland, and we all got fat, unhealthy, uh, drugged in many cases, and we lost our ability to stand up. And that's not all of us, but that's a huge number of us. But uh, what comes next may not be so pretty. It's hard to know how quickly they'll implement things. But, I mean, let's ask a simple question. Four weeks ago, would anyone imagine that we'd be sitting where we're sitting right now? Uh, I can show you documents written in the 80s that prefaced versions of this game plan. Um, that's how kind of asleep we are, and to, and to put a fine point on it, the Rockefeller document from 2010 is just flat out, point for point, breaking down what was about to happen. So the revelation of method in this case was done decades before the fact. Yeah, they do play the long game. Crow, you're correct about that, and uh, this stuff has been uh, pretty well documented. It, you know, when you go back and look at white papers going back to the 1980s from these different think tank groups and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they they did. They had this well planned out. I mean, it, this has been a long time coming. It's, it's just a matter of uh, when it did finally show its ugly head. People just don't want to accept it because of cognitive dissonance and everything else that goes along with that. Uh, nobody wants to accept that, you know, this, this is reality. I mean, this is really happening. Uh, you know, maybe the the tinfoil hat crew wasn't wasn't so dumb after all. You know, so it, it, it's one of those things where, man, it's it's just hard to wrap your head around all of this. But the planning that they put into this stuff is just beyond the pale. But it's so damn obvious. Four years ago, we started a podcast with very few exceptions. Every episode pointed to where we are. We've had episodes where we told people, if you have a cell phone in your pocket, you are facilitating what you're about 
to to live through. Right now, I could say to everyone listening, if you're carrying a smartphone, a brand new smartphone, you're in fact part of the problem. You're just tracking yourself. You're giving up data at an astonishing rate. Um, and by the way, even my best friends are upset with me all the time because I won't update my phone. Jason wants to call me half the time. It won't even ring through because my, my smartphone's dumb. But actually, I consider my dumb phone to be smart. And actually, I will be going to a, a clamshell. When this phone gets booted off because I won't upgrade it to 5G, I will downgrade to a phone that makes calls, period. Um, these are the things you got to think about. How the hell did we get here and what can you do about it? Well, <clears throat> if you're carrying an iPhone 11, hint, 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 you're part of the damn problem. You're giving data at an astonishing rate and what's driving this entire fiasco is information and real-time data collection. They can spin on a dime. Tomorrow we could wake up and get a whole different message than was planned two days prior just simply from what they saw happen on Facebook. <clears throat> oh, look, all these people in Ohio are getting pissed off. They're going to go storm City Hall and make a fuss. Um, and the message will change. This is all being fed by the data we're all giving up. We've covered this so many times, and yet I would be willing to bet 98% of the people listening here have a brand new smartphone in their pocket. Guilty. Well, not brand new. <laughs> yeah, that's... Not brand new. <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, they, they make it so attractive to have these things. Uh, they are useful tools. And, and that's a lot of the problem with this is, you know, it's a useful tool and uh, it, it could revolutionize the way we do things. But at the same token, they purposely make it addictive and uh, they use it to track your location. It's, it's, it's opening Pandora's box when, when you get involved with this, this technology because that's exactly what it's intended to do. It's, it's, it's a hook. It's a mind hook. And that's exactly what it's designed for is to hook your mind and pull you in. And uh, once again, this all points right back to the whole transhumanist ideology. So that's that's where it's leading. That's where it's going. And that's why they want uh, this total panopticon control grid that they're currently in the process of setting up, uh, utilizing the whole medical care system. So that's where we're at today. And it's, it's rolling out in force right now. So well, let's, uh, let's, let's solutions to that problem are what we need to come up with. Let's ask a question, though. Um, I didn't pay one iota of attention when Trump was seated as the president. So I got to ask, did he swear uh, to uphold the Constitution? Most presidents do. Does anyone know it? Or know? Like, I saw Obama do it, but I saw Obama do it twice. twice. They made they made up some nonsense that he messed it up the first time, so the second time he could do it in the White House in front of Adam Weishaupt's picture, uh, the founder of the Bavarian Illuminati. Um, but did, did anyone watch Trump get seated? Did he, in fact, swear on the Constitution? I didn't watch that inauguration. I, I really couldn't tell you for sure, but the fact that Obama swore the yeah, oath I'd, in front I'd, of Weisopt is very telling in and of well, itself. I'd be surprised if he didn't. I would have to go look to know, but an oath has meaning in our world. Um, all is not lost here. The Constitution may not be the perfect thing, but if it was brought back, so much of the nonsense would crumble. I mean, almost instantaneously. But my point here is not really to try to get everyone to be sensible. My point here is, if that man swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, then how can you be cowed in your thinking, in your judgment, in the things you think are correct? Um, I'm just saying, this is overtly evil on the face of it. And so now's the time. Will you stand against overt evil, or will you cow down? And watch some TV, because that's basically what you're being asked to do. 
Dr. Kaufman, I don't know if you would know this or not, but if indeed mm-hmm. hospitals, emergency rooms and all that are turning people away, are we actually having a problem with people who have real conditions not getting the treatment that they would normally need uh, if this situation wasn't going on? Well, you know, I, I actually just talked to some people who work in an emergency setting in the last uh, day or two, and I got some some information about what they're doing. And so they are keeping the emergency room open. But what they're doing is that they're trying not to admit anybody. So so they're, you know, so they may have a much higher threshold to send people home after some kind of treatment that normally they would keep for observation uh, or, or uh, inpatient treatment. So... So I think, you know, it's not, it's not quite the same, uh, you know, so they could send someone home that has a, a real serious condition by accident because I think, you know, I mean, there are some really skilled uh, emergency department doctors, but they always have this option, you know, like if they're not sure, just keep the person, right, and then they'll, they'll be observed. So if anything bad happens, they'll be able to, to handle it, whereas now I think there's pressure to send everybody home. And so it is, it is not quite the same as usual. And the assumption is, well, we got to keep those rooms cleared for these make-believe patients? Yeah, well, I mean, the hospitals have basically closed off almost all the beds except for COVID-related patients. And, of course, they don't have nearly enough of those to occupy the beds. So that's why, you, you know, you see these videos of uh, people in hospitals dancing around and uh, recording stuff. And, you know, now, like, uh, you know, things are getting so obvious, like they're laying off nurses all over the country. I've heard that, yeah. You know, and, and pharmacists and other professionals. And I even know person, uh, people personally who are affected by this. And, uh, you know, it's so obvious that if, if there was a real healthcare crisis, like the biggest one since the Spanish flu a uh, hundred years ago, we would need every single medical personnel to be right there at the front lines, uh, not being laid off and out of work. Well, well on, on the face of it, doesn't that say something about us as a society when your hospital won't take sick people? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's, there's people being turned away. As that's far as I know, goes. that's also unconstitutional. Um, you know, these are the things. On the face of it, we don't really have to discuss what's right and wrong here. Uh, hospitals are for people who need medical attention. Right. It's on the on the face of it obvious. I, I've never seen a situation like this. You know, in my entire career, hospitals are always jam packed, and uh, it's always tough to get someone in. You know, now it's the it's the opposite. It's it's just uh, it's totally crazy. Do you have a? Uh a theory or uh, I'm trying to think of a better word to use, but do you have a hypothesis on what might actually be going on and why they're doing things the way they do them? Well, I mean, I think uh, a lot of it is just to, to, it's like a a big PR uh, stunt. Uh, It's a way to, to sell the appearance that really there are a lot of sick people. Right. Um, you know, you have to preserve all these resources. You have, you know, governors like Cuomo, especially, you know, calling, well, we have a, res- a shortage of respirators and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you even have, I mean, this, I don't really know the full explanation for this, but General Motors has suddenly got into the ventilator business and they're able to suddenly manufacture ventilators. Now, you know, this is a, an automobile manufacturer, right? And it's not exactly the same technology uh, <laughs> that's behind a ventilator. And, you know, if you're going to design 
a new technology and then and then we have manufacturing to be able to produce it uh, at a scale up uh, level I mean that that can take years right to develop so th they must have had a substantial forethought that that they're gonna get into the ventilator business as an automobile company uh, just in time for this crisis and so I think there's definitely uh, some investigation that needs to be uh, done looking into that any commercial yeah. on TV could tell you the truth because it takes months to produce a TV commercial. There you go. Every commercial on right now yep. takes COVID. If anyone in the chat room wants to help a little bit, go start looking up production dates for the for the COVID nonsense commercials we're seeing. But um, part of what's going on here is I think we can all deduce all the businesses <clears throat> we had are not coming back. All the people that we had employed are probably not going to get reemployed. This fits into the Pope's nonsense of the the subsistence living payment, where mm -hmm. a kind of socialism, whatever you want to call it, has come in because now all these people don't have a job, so we'll pay you twelve hundred bucks a month. This is the direction these things are headed. Um, but again, um, they didn't have the authority to do it. We were supposed to be a republic or a democracy of a sort called a republic. They had no authority to switch over to socialism or fascism or a technocracy or whatever the proper ism is to describe what just happened. But my point is I'm reasonably sure all the businesses are not coming back and all the people will not be reemployed. And that means hundreds of thousands of people that aren't getting paid. And when the government goes to hand them their socialist paycheck, they're going to say thank you because everyone has to eat. Right. That is one of the big concerns that I've had pretty much since the start is that they're trying to shift us over into a different form of government, if you want to call it that. They've already done it. Trump has given speech for weeks now without the presidential seal of the United States of America in front of him. Yeah, it's already happened. That's, that's what I've been hearing. And not everyone, but it, it, that seems to be a thing. All right. And now well, with the uh, with the rollout of this uh, basic universal income idea, this is going to de-incentivize the workforce. So this is going to de-incentivize innovation. So uh, you're going to look at a more stagnation of the economy that way. That's that's basically one of the things that'll happen. That'll uh, also uh, curtail and and coincide with runaway inflation and just a baseline price rise of pretty much everything across the board. So it's not going to be a good situation any way you look at it it's it's really not but i think this is the way they're going to roll in automation if pretty much everything all they got to do right. is uh, they're, they're aiming for idiocracy here i think it's pretty clear all they got to do is legalize marijuana across the board next and you've got a bunch of lazy people who sit at home collecting a free paycheck and smoking weed all day i imagine opium will be free in a few months yikes that would be uh quite deadly all right the third question what would be causing the same symptoms in patients all over the world with the same labs and pneumonia showing on a CT scan? Well, how about pneumonia? <laughs> that was my thought, too. <laughs> hey, I mean, by the uh, way, people got sick before this nonsense started being touted. It, you know, if you look, so I was having a discussion in, uh, in another uh, group uh, earlier today, and someone was saying, well, what about the unique symptoms, uh, you know, of COVID-19? And they said, you should uh, use search COVID-19 unique symptoms in DuckDuckGo. And so I did this. And uh, what came up was uh, the first thing was a Mayo Clinic article. So I looked at that and it said, you know, cough, fever, weakness, fatigue, uh, nausea. 
And I said, wow, those are really, really specific uh, symptoms and very unique, right? Because uh, I could list off five or 10 different uh, disorders that would have those, right? Uh, a cold, the flu, um, pneumonia, uh, pulmonary embolism, lung cancer, and several other things. So, you know, very nonspecific um, and nothing really unique about it. So if people are, you know, diagnosed with that, then it just fits one of those uh, kind of disorders. But the test is also, you know, it's extremely nonspecific um, and it's not really clear what it's testing for because there's never been a gold standard where they isolated the virus that they could compare a test to. So since it's not been compared to the actual thing, uh, you know, who knows what it measures? You know, it would be like you had a device that measures uh, the brightness of the sun, right? But then you you just put that out and you never actually compared it to uh, looking up in the sky and just assumed that's correct. Uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And um, so whatever makes that positive, it, it's going to be positive in some people. Uh, with disease, like in asymptomatic people, there was a, a group that tried to estimate the false positive rate, and they they calculated it to be about eighty percent. So four out of five people uh, that had a positive test did not have any illness whatsoever. So it's pretty arbitrary. So you could just find a hundred people with pneumonia of some sort in the hospital, and uh, you know that. At probably half of them or at least a significant portion of them will have a positive test so you just relabel them as this new illness and then it looks like those people died but uh, they just are having the same illness that everybody's had all right anyone got anything they want to contribute there or shall I go to the next one um, if I could just say something one of my favorite videos of all time is made by dr. Andrew Saul and it's called reverse pneumonia in three hours. And he has what his doctor says is viral pneumonia. And he decides to take two grams of vitamin C every six minutes. <laughs> three hours later, all his pneumonia symptoms have stopped. His temperature's dropped three degrees and he's feeling fine. Then he goes on to explain how there's a 20 pound baby that one of his colleagues has who has been ill for days with coughing and sneezing and all that. And the colleague says, well, how do I give vitamin C to a baby? And Dr. Andrew Saul explains, well, you do it any way you can. You put it in juice, you give crush, crush some edible tablets and you know, whatever you can. Anyway, he finds a way to give ridiculously high doses to this baby. And by the end of the day, the baby too is just fine. So you know, the idea that uh, Pneumonia is one of these problems where you've got to spend 12 weeks in hospital and you may or may not recover is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what's the next step after pneumonia? Well, it can be sepsis. And most people, a lot of people don't recover from sepsis. But vitamin C fixes sepsis as well. You know, there's almost nothing that's acute that vitamin C won't fix. You know, with chronic problems, it becomes slightly more difficult. But, you know, people need to wake up that there's, the, there's this uh, incredible material that's commonly available everywhere. Clive, I bet um, I bet that gentleman had a lot of uh, spent a lot of those three hours on the uh, toilet. Well, um, I would say that would be a side effect worth having to put <laughs> up with. Well, but, no, I I actually think that's a big part of what makes it work because you can also treat pneumonia with enemas and have great great success. Uh, you know, it's a way to get. 
yeah, get the toxins out of the body that are causing the illness in the first place. Echoes of Gerson. There's a number of people you decided to. Gerson's doing the same thing, cleaning the toxins out of the body. There's only one way to do that. Comes out the other end. Right. So uh, Dr. Daniels talks about uh, this kind of, uh, you know, last ditch miracle cure for people who are on death's door, just like you describe. And it's basically mixing uh, turpentine and castor oil. And it has a very similar kind of effect. Uh, and and can also save people's lives with uh, sepsis and other you know life-threatening conditions. All right, question number four: Where are the scientific papers and research that you're pulling information from to make your theories? And again, by the way, folks, this isn't me attacking Dr. Kaufman. Uh, before I turn the comments off because I got tired of policing all the nonsense. Uh, I was getting bombarded with questions uh, attacking Andy over every little thing. And I was like, okay, I'm done with this. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> so I just kind of boiled these down from everything that was being said and at least let him take a stab at addressing some of it in uh, at least a non-confrontational way. But take it away, doctor. Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, try as I might, I guess I didn't uh, provide uh, enough well-referenced material. But at the end <laughs> of my main slideshow, there's uh, two and a half pages of uh, references. And so I'd be happy to distribute uh, those to anyone uh, through my website. And I believe uh, on crow777radio.com, you are also distributing uh, copies of the slideshow. And and then I, I put out another PowerPoint uh, presentation uh, that I believe is it's on Secrets of Saturn as well. And uh, if you go through my website, I'd be happy to give you um, a PDF of those slides, which has all the references. But I'll tell you that um, all the information I presented and really uh, everything, almost everything I've learned about this current uh, virus situation with respect to viruses and exosomes, it all comes from peer-reviewed uh, scientific papers. Uh, from journals like Nature, the New England Journal of Medicine, and various other ones. Why don't you say that again, Dr. Kaufman, just to make sure you've made the point really clear. Where are you <laughs> getting your information from for the theories that you are postulating? Yeah, I mean, I only go to the source material, uh, which is the scientifically published papers that are peer-reviewed. Um, I do, you know, talk about some historical information from uh, well-researched books, uh, but that there are no books about COVID-19 or SARS uh, coronavirus family that I've looked at. So that's all right from the primary scientific papers. Well, I can help you out too uh, for members of Crow777radio.com under transcripts. Episode 207.5 is a free transcript download. That's what Dr. Kaufman just referenced. Or if you're not a member, email me and I will happily send you the PDF. I've handed out roughly a thousand copies of that PDF so far. And what we're talking about is uh, Dr. Kaufman did a 38-minute presentation with several of us attending, which I, I cut down to just the presentation. That's on this channel, the Secrets of Saturn channel, and it went viral. Uh, thank you to Doc David Ike for putting it on uh, a link to it on, on his website. So it's got 303,000 or something crazy like that now. I've never had a video with that many hits. But the problem was you were getting a ton of ding-dongs on there who were, of course, attacking Dr. Kaufman's work. And I, I finally just turned the comments off because 
because I, I just didn't want any more fighting. That's not what I'm about. Uh, the information is presented. He absolutely did document his work. It's in there if you just watched it and shut the hell up instead of bitching about things. <laughs> and <laughs> good, good on you, Jason. Normally you're too nice a guy to do that. I always tell Jason, I don't put up with nonsense. If people are rude, they're gone. Well, no, I was deleting comments and blocking the people, but it was just... It, it was wasting too much of my time. I mean, with the amount of content we're trying to put out, I want to, I want to put the time I've got to doing something constructive. So I turned the comments off and of course boiled it down to these things that we're addressing today. But the other place you can get it, if you don't want to watch a video, uh, I trimmed it, the audio down uh, as much as I could. And we have that as a free download on crow triple seven radio.com. And there's an accompanying PDF with all of the information that Dr. Kaufman put in the video. So there's two ways you can have it for free anytime you want of how he breaks down and discusses the quote unquote virus. Secondly, there's a follow-up that uh, Dr. Kaufman just did that I posted. Um, what was that yesterday or the day before? I, I can't even keep track of days anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it, was, much. it was just one <laughs> to two days ago. Right. That's also available for free uh, on my channel. And of course, Dr. Kaufman has all of this stuff available on his channel as well. All right, I'm going to stop talking and, now uh, and we'll move on. <laughs> Jason, I just want to mention that uh, this time around with that presentation, uh, instead of David Icke referring to your channel, he actually put it on his channel. <laughs> and uh, it has almost 200,000 views already. It's only been out for a few days. Wonderful. I've got a few thousand. I, don't know. I, didn't, I haven't checked it recently. By, by the way, if anyone wants to have fun out there and they are actually wasting their life looking at the TV when they show the cameras going out to all these hard hit places look for the unnatural electric green you will see it in gloves you will see it in gowns you will see it on bags you will see it as boots when you see that unnatural electric green that came to us because ebola started that pavlonian programming and since they can't ring a bell for all the human beings that color green is standing in for the trigger of pavlov's dogs you're being processed and if you think i'm kidding go back do an image search for ebola and look at the press images and almost to an image the unnatural green is there wow well listen tv mind control is a really interesting topic and it's very sophisticated they have all kinds of patents related to that uh you know that's a subject that we could really explore it's scary um i've done some work on it this week and it's so depressing uh, that I just kind of walked away because I don't know what's to be done for it. If someone's glued to their TV, they're being processed. How how would how would it be if I came on to do a show to show you that the Wizard of Oz is wholly about processing the nation as a whole? Do you think people might accept that or lose their damn minds? This well, is the problem. You'd have to overcome the nostalgia. That's you know a, that's a big part of the problem, isn't it? Nostalgia is uh, you know what. <laughs> but you know it's 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 not just the content it's the technology itself right they they have a certain uh frame rate per second that basically activates uh our brain to go into an alpha wave state so right. these are like you know eeg waves and when you're in alpha wave state you're more suggestible right that's like a hypnotic trance and so then you accept the content much more readily and I even heard that uh, the, that the founder of Hulu, I think his name is H. Lu, has a patent on a device that can actually assess what your brainwave pattern is and then adjust its output to get it into that alpha state. Good grief. Well, I, can actually, I can actually give people the foundation for some of this. When I was a child and you talked about electricity, you talked about it in cycles. 
the most common way you would hear it is this is 60 cycles. Along the path of my lifetime, cycles became Hertz. Hertz is a person's name. That person is directly associated to the Kennedy clan. And by the way, Hertz rent a car. Um, they are to do with early forms of radio. They are 33rd degree Masons. Um, it's all there. Uh, the smartest people in the world have basically put together the systems we use. And whether you want to say it's their bloodline making them bright or they had materials that others didn't, I can't answer that question. But over and over, we tie these things, and technology is the bane of our existence. It's just hard to convince people who never knew the analog age that that's true. But then again, I'm still betting everyone listening has got their cell phone on in their pocket. And I've done a lot of shows to show what's being done with that. Um, and it was all the way back in 99 when the CEO of Sun Microsystems informed the world that privacy no longer existed for all our free tools like email, and no one believed him. And the dude was telling the God's honest truth. There it is. People couldn't see it coming in 1999. I mean, the Matrix blew people's freaking minds in 1999, and here we are 20-plus years later. And the things that they were setting up back then, they knew what was coming. And that's that. Well, when you when you think about what Wayne was talking about, we've looked at the same documents from the 80s, which are various game plans for what we're looking at now. How in the hell in the 80s did they know that there was going to be a Google in the year 2000? But you see, these things were written into the plan, um, how to control society with different levels of technology. So it really it's it's astonishing uh, the foresight that's been laid down. And I think the only simple answer to it is that we are probably close to 100 years behind technology. Typically, they say that the society is 50 or something years behind the technology that's available. I think we're probably closer to 100 years behind what's been available. Well, they typically say it's anywhere from 30 to 50 years is what the uh, military-industrial complex is ahead of what uh, we view as the state of the art today. So when you realize that these uh, special access programs and stuff are, are going on in secret with uh, little to no oversight, uh, and these monies are being funneled to it through government agencies and put to uh, over to private contractors who subcontract out these things... Uh, and they do that for a reason. This is because this way they could skirt around FOIA request. Uh, that that information is considered proprietary then if it's uh, done through an, a corporation or a government subcontractor. So it's not uh, eligible for uh, Freedom of Information Act request. So that that's another way that they kind of keep these technologies secret and uh, under wraps. So anybody who would use the argument they can't possibly keep any of this stuff secret. Uh, Nonsense. They sure can. In fact, they kept a whole department of the government, uh, uh, the military, uh, secret for over 30 plus years. The uh, the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, uh, was completely secret and known only to a few thousand people within the country to even exist for over 30 plus years when it was uh, revealed in 1992 to exist. It had been operating since 1962. Uh, without anybody even realizing it exists. And this is a large part of what you would call your secret space program that's going on right now. Uh, so this is something people need to be aware of. A lot of these technologies have been developed uh, within the military-industrial complex, and they've militarized every use that they could find of these things before they release it to the general public. So your state-of-the-art iPhone in your hand, that's probably 30 to 40-year-old technology, bare minimum. Uh, so you may be correct. I mean, it, maybe it is 100 years. I don't well, know. They, I mean, if you look they, at the stuff Tesla was allegedly doing back in the early 1900s. 
exactly that's way ahead of anything that we could imagine right now. Well, there's a reason that even doctoral candidates for electrical engineering, uh, it's claimed by people who actually know some things that they're not being told all the secrets of electricity. The problem being is if you understood one wave, you'd understand all waves. But in the in the movie Winter Soldier, the, again, they tell you the truth. They, they say this dude lived in the 30s that wrote this algorithm, which could predict the future based on data. Problem is, we didn't have the machines that could do it. But you see, that's not true either, because the entirety of Las Vegas was set up on the law of large numbers. And what's the other one, Jason? What's the other thing called there where they go? What, what's what's the process called where they guess how many gumballs? Yeah, is the... Um, oh. The, I can't think of it, but basically, when you go to a fair and, and the wisdom, you get a, of, the wisdom crowd, of the crowd, there, there, there it is. The wisdom of the crowd and the law of large numbers built Vegas, and that is such a infantile version of what the data collection algorithms give them now. To the point where, right now, how many people have turned on the internet and they either talked or said to a friend they were interested in a product, didn't even <laughs> do anything online, and there was an ad. You know why? Because their algorithms know what you want before you do, and that's based on the very thing I'm, I'm talking about. If you want to know something, go look up Wisdom of the Crowd and the Law of Large Numbers. These things are ancient. Uh, wisdom of the Crowd goes back over 100 years, I think. Um, but it shows that the actual future can be predicted if enough data is available to, to basically mine. Just to put a fine point on what you're saying, though, too, these things are very foundational. Uh, in fact, uh, the uh, algorithms that they use in quantum computing are actually named after uh, some Vegas concepts. Like the one one thing they right. use is called Monte Carlo method. Monte Carlo simulation. There you go. There so, it is. Yeah. Well, if I understand hey, correctly, right? it's all it, small margins that they're making huge profits off of, right? Because it, it works in their favor that little bit, but because of the insane amount of numbers that are going on, it completely works in their favor. Well, what's what's interesting, too, is it's always a cult. It is always a cult. Like, I'm reading the Book of Enoch right now, um, and I think what we're looking at, you know, we're going to run an episode tomorrow, which will basically show that the bloodline, so-called bloodline of Tubal-Cain is all the A-list actors, um, we've, we've known this, we've shown it in many ways, but to get back to the point, when you go look at wisdom of the crowd, most people would expect to say, oh, well, we took a gumball to the county fair, a gumball jar, a mason jar, and everyone gets, that's not the example you're given. The example is we had this bull, <laughs> okay? And so we're going to auction off this bull, which is then going to get whacked. So, you know, someone has something like 1400 pounds of meat or something like that. Um, it's always a cult, all of it. And there is a whole side of our world that people know absolutely nothing about. And the simple reason for it is, is because you were not born of the Tubal Cain bloodline, as far as I can tell. There it is. There's a whole other side of this world that is the people who make the rules. Um, and they're all related. When we go through this episode tomorrow, Jason, how many A-list actors can we show are related to Bush? And by the way, Bush <laughs> claims... He's related to Vlad the Impaler, but all these things we're talking about—it's all the same. It's all the same party hosts every time. Well, the Bushes are related to the royals of England, and then they're related to as they as Prince Charles liked to brag a few years back to uh, the Transylvanian whole. Vlad the Impaler, yeah, yeah that's all a, of that. Something so... proud of. Clive, we're vampires. How do you feel about we that, one, Clive? We live on your blood, brothers and <laughs> sisters. That's basically what he's telling you. 
a couple of years back, a 12-year-old girl posted a, a YouTube video. It was a class project she did where she was able to show that every single president of the United States was related to this uh, one royal family over in Scotland. All but one. All, all, every single president, but inclusive of Obama at the time. So it, people could look that up. I mean, it, it's just astounding. And that uh, seemed you like could actually leak. find this didn't, stuff in the open public records. Didn't that seem like a leak to you too, Wayne? Like they did it on, like they they went out and and forced that to be CNN news. I, I would think so. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where yeah, a little bit of revelation of the method here and there. They they don't care at this point. They think they have such lock stock and barrel control of everything at this point they're just letting it all out there so you know it, it's it's easy for people to see the point is i don't think we're beyond approach at this point with the whole thing i think we could actually uh turn things around still i think there's always that hope there even though these uh you know elites or whatever you want to call them think that uh it, it's over pretty much i don't see it that way I agree with you, Wayne. But uh, I was curious if you guys know about this, uh, uh, what technology might be deployed with this Starlink project. Well, there's, that's, that's so problematic because they're going to be claiming they're sending things to outer space. And I think from my own point of view and nearly five years behind the scope, nothing's leaving here. From my point of view, we live in the equivalent of a alchemical flask. Mm. This is a sealed environment. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. What, it, what we've got here is what we've always had here. It's a balanced system. It will always, that's, that's another thing. People always wonder, why are they destroying nature and doing these big corporations? I'll tell you why. Because they know if they leave it alone for 100 years, it'll be same as it ever was. Um, that's how good nature is. But the Starlink thing is probably, if there's any validity to it, going to be some kind of a lighter-than-air device in our atmosphere that's just doing the blanket technology thing, you know. It's got to be something like that. Has it affected? Hasn't it affected uh, astronomy observers and and such uh, so far? I can't that's tell what you the first saying. Hand. Yeah, yeah. I've I've read the claims, I, but I don't buy. Yeah, I don't buy till I try. There was a. I've, uh, I've actually seen up. them. Go I've ahead. actually seen them fly overhead one time. Uh, it was a really weird looking event. Because what I thought was an airplane at first, uh, it turned out it was one after another. There were about 13 of them. They were equidistant apart. Uh, they were traveling at a relatively fast speed uh, across the, uh, the horizon. And uh, after I, I had asked, I actually posted on Facebook, hey, well, what, what did I just see? Because I explained what it was, and somebody put up... Uh, you know, the, the map or whatever that said that the Starlink thing should be visible in my area at that point. And sure enough, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So there's a real nuts and bolts technology up there. Uh, I would say it's probably low Earth orbit if it's even that high, honestly, because I can't see how uh, what he's saying the size of these satellites are. You, you shouldn't be able to see them as clear as I did if they're as high up as, as it's claimed and as, if they're as small as it claimed. So we, it's, we, it's one of those things. There's a definite technology that's there, but what it's doing, that's another story. Well, we when, when the Huffington Post did a hit piece on one of my videos um, and I'd had enough, we went out and got an optics expert and we laid down the law. It's indisputable. Um, these micro satellite things they like to call micro, you can't see those things from basically 200 miles away you couldn't but i demonstrated in 2012 that there is an astonishing amount of technology over your head every night 
Problem is you can't see it unless it's backlit by something like the moon. But then I further proved that it's impossible that any of these things are in space because the Huffington Post wanted to say, Crow's an idiot, doesn't understand his equipment. This is a satellite in half geosynchronous that he filmed. That would be 11,000 miles. And I said, I beg to differ. And I did an optics expert, showed the math breakdown that if what they said was true at 11,000 miles, the thing would have been something like four times the size of the supposed ISS. And so these things are not possible. And so what we began to realize is everything we see is within our atmosphere. And when we got back to common sense, I mean, if I turned on a million candle power flashlight 60 miles away at night, could you see it? You know, this is the kind of common sense we've lost. Because at first you want to say, yeah, then when you begin to think about it, you say, I'm not sure. I'd have to go out and try that. And so this is where we were. All these things you're seeing in the air, they're in our atmosphere. Um, I would... I would bet a lot on that, and I don't, I'm not a betting man. To answer the original question, Dr. Kaufman, I was watching an astronomy channel who was discussing how the more of those that get deployed, the more it's going to seriously muck with just normal stargazing and people who do that on, on a regular basis. Because uh, I'd actually, someone had asked it of me, and I went and did a little hunting around. That's what I found uh, being repeated multiple times. Now, what I they could... truly are, <laughs> that's a good question. An eyesore. Yeah, well, technology. definitely that. Definitely yeah. that. By the way, a couple I, people have asked Dr. I, I, Kaufman if uh, you were a truth person, I think was the way it was worded in one question uh, before this whole thing started. Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> I, uh, it's been about, about four, four and a half years. Uh, since I first started, uh, you know, looking at things from a different perspective and realizing uh, that almost everything is really uh, inverted uh, from what the truth is. <laughs> There's going to be a benchmark here. We'll have to ask, have you ever owned or thought about owning a copy of Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols? <laughs> God save actually, the queen. Actually, I owned that as a teenager. So <laughs> I was in a punk band, so I'm guilty too. She ain't no human being. <laughs> All right, so of the five questions, we got one left. Why is 5G being mentioned in conspiracy videos in relation to COVID-19 so much right now? And in case anyone's been living under a rock, 5G means the fifth generation wireless broadcast service that all of our mobile phones run off of. Right. And um, so that's that is a good question. And for me, the the main context that I've uh, mentioned it, which uh, hasn't been that often, although I'm definitely concerned about it is because there's been uh, a major feverish effort to install the 5G infrastructure at this time, uh, you know, when we're on this lockdown situation and uh, we're supposed to only be uh, having essential uh, functions going on, right? And we already have a working telecommunications network that meets the needs of this crisis. So why would they be, you know, trying to have crews going around the clock installing a, a 5G network. So, you know, for me, I think that people are distracted right now and there there seems to be growing opposition to 5G because it's it's been relatively poorly tested and there are a lot of documented concerns about health and other issues. Um, so this is, uh, I think, you know, kind of a diversionary bait and switch kind of tactic. 
Um, I don't see any evidence of anyone, you know, being sick from anything uh, related to 5G, but that certainly uh, is a possibility once the infrastructure is available. I know there is, you know, some correlation that there was a major 5G installation in, in, uh, in Wuhan, China before uh, things hit, and I think also in northern Italy in the Lombardo region. But nonetheless, there's no evidence in those places of any excess deaths or any uh, unique presentations that I'm really aware of. So I don't I don't see evidence of this. But uh, I, I can tell you one thing interesting that I have learned about 5G because I was really trying to, you know, there's a lot of rumors about that it affects oxygen and uh, there there is data that uh, electromagnetic radiation is absorbed by molecular oxygen, but actually the frequency uh, that absorbs, uh, that mostly is absorbed by oxygen is much different than 5G. So if there's like a, you know, a curve that you can look at absorption versus frequency and it peaks at a totally different uh, technology than 5G, which is uh, generally around uh, 60 giga cycles per second. So I won't, I won't say the eponym crow now that you've explained that. Uh, <laughs> but, I was going to, I was going to yeah. add, um, everyone knows RF is bad for you, but Jason and I did a show almost two years ago um, about 5G showing that the networks can handle data in a way where in real time they can identify data they're interested in and send it off to the local police or wherever they want to go. So a big part of the 5G is not only do they have an antenna everywhere, um, it's set up in a way for basically police, police state style monitoring. But, I, you know, I don't think it takes a genius to understand that if you fill a world with radio frequency, the vibrational rate of a human being over time will change. Um, so I don't know what your opinion is of what it's going to do in the short term, but I think it's a no-brainer that when you're surrounded by foreign frequencies for decades, that will have an effect. Right. And, I, you know, I've already, you know, in my clinical work, right, I see the effect that uh, Wi-Fi and cell phones uh, for heavy users can have on them, too, like especially with things like, uh, you know, eye fatigue and sleep, headaches, things like that. Um, but I did find this declassified uh, CIA document from 1977. And in it, it describes uh, a study exposing mice to the same frequency band as 5G. So this is something, you know, the government has studied quite a long time ago, which fits with uh, what we were talking about before, about the technology being far ahead of what we perceive it is, right? Because uh, going back to 1977, we're talking about, uh, you know, more than 40 years. And in that study, it showed some pretty severe deleterious uh, health effects on the mice. And the two that I thought were the most significant were one, that it, it causes bone marrow suppression. So that's where all your blood cells are made. So it would cause you to have low blood counts, including being anemic. So that, that could be debilitating in itself. But the, more, the most profound finding was that it blocked the um, oxygen uptake by the mitochondria. And those are the parts of our cells uh, that uh, they have their own DNA. And that's what, uh, what can do oxidative phosphorylation, which is the main type of metabolism that we derive our energy from. Uh, without that, basically, we can only do glycolysis, which results in lactic acid and generates far less energy and would make us, uh, our bodies become very acidic and could actually be, uh, be fatal um, if, if it goes on for long enough. So I think those are the, uh, some of the potential acute effects um, if you have the right uh, amplitude of the signal and the right proximity to the antenna.
there, there's people in Michigan right now, friends of mine have sent me video. It's not every poll, but some of the polls have stamped right on the side of the gray canister under the 5G mechanism that says um, this this device puts off more energy than is approved by the FCC or whoever it is. Um, says it right on the side of the thing. Um, and wow. so it's it's like we, we've crossed the threshold. And by the way, you think they'd be nicer to those damn mice. Without mice, we don't get Mickey, but that gets you thinking. Maybe Mickey's a rat undercover. What do you think? <laughs> Clive, you got anything you want to add to the uh, 5G thing? Well, uh, yes, I would, actually. I've had quite a few clients in England who've been living in cities where 5G has been active now for a few months. And, you know, what it always is, is it's the most sensitive, you know, the canary in the coal mine that gets hit by it. And I've had several clients who I've said, look, why don't you try moving? Just move, move out to the country. And I've had so many of them say that once they moved out, their heart arrhythmia uh, solved itself. All sorts of problems were happening. I mean, at Glastonbury Festival, the music festival, they had 5G there, and there were people with nosebleeds, all sorts of problems. And there have been, you know, I've seen a significant amount of proof that 5G is doing damage. And of the recent um, videos that, that YouTube have taken down, it was, it was one of the ones I did on 5G that came down within 24 hours. You, you know you're hitting the mark when they take them down quickly. Um, the, uh, also, in England, just, um, just two days ago, there was a news report that now 60 of the 5G masks have been set up by people who are unhappy about it. You've probably seen that video of the Australian man who's, who had a tank and took, took out a whole load of masks. <laughs> I, I, I believe that 5G is going to be used as a weapon and you know, I think there's very little doubt about it and maybe all these big empty hospitals are to cope with the fact when they turn 5G up because the you know it, it's down to the, the power of the, the signal I, I'd like to say something else about mobile phones you know my friends are frustrated with me because I, I won't use a mobile phone I've got one which I'll use in an emergency but I never turn it on and why this is is about 10 years ago I was working with a medical doctor and we had this client who had brain cancer. He had a glioblastoma. And I seldom get patients, clients with glioblastomas, but that year I had six. And one of them uh, was left-handed. He had his glioblastoma on, on the left side where he held his mobile phone. The other five were right-handed, and they all had their glioblastoma on the right side. And um, uh, Richard Branson, uh, his best friend died from a brain tumor, and Branson said, we always used to make fun of my friend because in the old days when you had those big brick-type phones, he was the one who always had it wedged on, you know, under his shoulder, and he was on the phone all the time. And Branson, you know, who, who owned a, a mobile phone company, went public, but he felt the mobile phones had contributed to his friend's death. So I think there's no, no shortage of evidence that uh, radiation, whether it's microwave radiation or whatever, has contributed to some of the major diseases around. I mean, I, I remember listening to Thomas Cowan recently, recently, who was explaining how he felt that the Spanish flu epidemic was partly to do with the inter introduction of radio and then radar in World War II and so on. And a few years ago, I put out this video of this woman who had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. The doctors had given her this diagnosis. She had all the symptoms of MS. 
and it turned out not to be MS. It turned out to be her plasma television. Her plasma television had some problem with it, a rogue frequency, and um, when they worked out that it, that it was not MS, they took, the, the, they took away the plasma TV. Six weeks later, all her symptoms had gone away. So let's, let's take, take the example. You know, the ones that died in the 1918 flu epidemic, what if they were the canaries in the coal mine? They were the ones who were really susceptible, like this woman was really susceptible. But what if you go to bed each night and in an apartment and you know, behind you, behind the wall, somebody's got a plasma TV that's also got a bad signal and you're wondering why, you're, why you've got the symptoms of multiple sclerosis when it's the plasma TV from next door that's doing it. And I think that there are people who are super susceptible to 5G right now, and they're the ones who are having health problems, and they probably haven't put two and two together. It may be since the smart meter got put in their house, or the smart meter got put in their apartment block, and now there are 30 smart meters putting out a whole host of signals, and they're going to the doctor, and the doctor doesn't recognize what's going on. And... You know, I, I think there's an epidemic of problems like that from 5G, and I think, as uh, as you were saying earlier, we don't need it. You know, we we, can, we we don't need it, but people believe that, oh, I want to download a, a film in three seconds, so therefore I need it. But they want to live stream 4K <laughs> walking down the street. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm picking up what Clive's laying down, man. Uh, Clive, Jason, and I should follow up with you. Um, I'd like to, to look at maybe doing a show with you. You're a man after my own heart, and I dig the fact that you're not a cell phone junkie. Um, <laughs> but, guys, it's 1030. i got to get episode 213 out in the morning. I'm going to bow out. So, Andy, Clive, Jason, Wayne, uh, you guys all have a great night. Chat room, have a great night. Be good to each other. Um, there it is, man. Crow, before great you uh, bow out, do you want to take a moment? We'll talk about what we're releasing tomorrow. Uh, we did an episode with uh, Mark Devlin uh, to basically show that the entertainment that everyone's being stuck at home with right now that everybody loves is the enemy. You're sleeping with the enemy there. Uh, they're all from the same bloodline. Uh, they have been mostly since the beginning of time to include all your presidents. And uh, they're dark hearts, basically. Let, let me ask you a question. If everything we've said tonight is correct about the state of the world, uh, is that an angelic being doing these things or a devilish being doing these things? I'm just asking. doesn't take a genius to know. Uh, and the point I would make is as you're stuck at home watching your favorite Marvel or Disney movie, what you are looking at is the mechanism that, that made the bed you're now laying in. Um, and we're going to go at it tomorrow with Mr. Devlin. Anything I dropped there, Jason? No, that sounds great. As always, Mark, totally... Knocked it out of the ballpark as he always does, and uh, maybe that's some, maybe that's someone else we got to get Dr. Kaufman on with too, because I'm sure they would have an interesting chat. He doesn't mess around. He knows his numbers. He's done his research. He can recall. He can back up what he says. Um, not only that, he's taken the work that McGowan did light years beyond where McGowan was heading. Yep. I guess you give credit to a guy like McGowan for cracking the egg, uh, but Devlin's showing how you make an omelet. Well, um, I, I, you know. McGowan was great. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away, so who knows where he would have gone with it. That was his first book that he put out, as far as I know. And, um, man, it's just a shame he passed so soon. But anyway, I'll let you go, and you have a great night, my friend. All right, Rose, let's plan to follow up with Clive. Clive, it was very nice to meet you for the first time. And, gentlemen, have a good night.
Good night, Crow. See you, man. Have a good one. Just to uh, kind of go back to the whole 5G topic for a minute there and uh, the whole topic of uh, microwave radiation and things like that, uh, it's well documented, the effects on the human body and the human mind that uh, these things can have. In fact, there's a military project called Project Pandora that people could look up that is a uh, well-established military project, and, and many aspects of it are still uh, considered secret or top secret today. You could get the declassified document uh, online pretty much anywhere. All you got to do is type it into the search engine, and you could get the declassified portions of it. And there's also a subproject of this called uh, Project Bizarre that talks about uh, the ways that uh, these radiation types and microwave frequencies can alter human behavior as well. And uh, this was well established. This was back in the 1940s, if I remember correctly, that they were actually doing these studies. That's when this Project Pandora came about. And I think it was under the auspices of the Army at that point, or Army intelligence, but... Uh, I think it's all subcategorized as Department of Defense now, if I remember correctly. But that's something people could look up if they want to pursue uh, this avenue of thought a little bit more to kind of see just what it is that this technology is capable of. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, the uh, technology that the 5G network is based upon, these millimeter waves, are actually used in military applications for uh, the uh, active denial system. And this is a... a a beam that they use that's tuned to a frequency of, I think it's 96 gigahertz. Uh, it's a 5G type frequency, a millimeter wave frequency that they could use for crowd control. And what this does is it hits the subcutaneous parts of your skin and makes you feel like you're on fire. And it's so uncomfortable, it makes people run out of the, the way of the beam. They can't do anything else. So this is also a possible application. When you put these uh, giant cell towers up everywhere, uh, with these uh, directed beam uh, capabilities on it, which they, they do put on some of these towers and devices so that they could uh, direct uh, the signals the directions they want. If they could tune that to uh, that gigahertz bandwidth or, or whatever you would call it, that 96 gigahertz, if they could tune it to that, they could use it to actually cause a pain wave at a, in a directed uh, way to say a crowd they could use this for crowd control if somebody's protesting in front of a capitol building like has happened earlier this week in several capitals around the nation if they have this tower or this this 5g mast sitting there uh if they want they could direct a this uh, active denial system weapon at that crowd there and make it disperse there goes your right to protest i mean this this is really going to change the face of what the world looks like uh, your, your freedoms as you know them will disappear when this network is fully snapped into place. So just so people understand the, the things we're talking about here. And this isn't woo-woo science fiction tinfoil hat stuff. This is all well documented. So if people want to look up Project Pandora, it's very telling. Wow, that's some really good research, Wayne. Thanks so much for uh, telling us about that. That is it's, Wayne's uh, thing. He... <laughs> When he when he got when he's got it he's got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not something that I, I I particularly enjoy researching these type of things, but it's like I can't if I find something like that I just can't let it go. I, I have to know what's going on and how it's been applied. So that's that's kind of my thing. I dig into I dig into these technologies and how they're being misused against us. So 
you know, you could look back. And, and like I said, I believe the study goes back to even the 1940s. So if you, you take that into consideration to where we're at today, imagine how much they've been able to fine tune this stuff. Right. Well, you know, the same technology uh, can be used actually for healing as well, right? Because uh, look at the Rife machine. Uh, it puts out a tunable EMF wave, right? But it's uh, it has different parameters, right? I'm sure that it's a much lower power, and it's also tuned. Like Rife had a technology uh, with this incredible microscope that he could observe uh, living cells and including microorganisms uh, from like blood samples, and he was able to determine the the vibrational frequency of those cells that are in a disease state. And then he would basically use the, uh, the wave generator, uh, which was tunable to different electromagnetic frequencies, uh, you know, radio wave frequencies for the most part, um, and apply those uh, to the person as a therapeutic uh, maneuver. But it, was, it had to be the exact right frequency that he observed the disease. And of course it was, you know, done um, in very short bursts, uh, I'm sure at much lower power. And so it's interesting how the same kind of technology can be used uh, for healing as well as used for, uh, you know, nefarious purposes. Right, and that's that's the whole thing. I mean, there, there are good uses for these technologies. Uh, Technology is a tool like anything else. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. And the problem is the military-industrial complex gets a hold of this stuff and decides to militarize it. They, they weaponize it every time, and they find all the bad uses and don't necessarily explore all the good uses. So it, it's one of those things where, yeah, this could be a useful tool, but in the wrong hands, it's, it, you know... It's also a very, very bad thing. So it's it's a fine line that we we skate on here with this well, stuff. Yeah. Is we we need to we need to have innovation, but at the same token, we don't want something that's going to be totally dystopian uh, for our future with these technologies. You know, Wayne, when I was in the uh, medical device business, I I uh, had a, a you know startup medical device company for a year, and uh, I had. Uh, come up with a way to actually detect uh, suicide attempts like inside of a, a jail or a prison setting primarily and I was encouraged actually to look for funding from the Department of Defense and DARPA oh wow yeah. that, that tells you a lot right there doesn't that, it that should tell you something <laughs> they, they, they do they're a major contractor of a lot of these different innovations if, if you have an idea like that you better believe they were going to want to find a way to weaponize that and I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they, they went and stole your work that you already had and are, are looking to use it in some other way right now. So just just putting it out there. Yeah, I'm sure that's a possibility. Uh, you know, they, they even if it's patented, I'm sure they could access it. Oh, no doubt. And they could probably duplicate something very similar and just change a few things around and, and you know, work with it that way. Uh, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say I'm not an expert on the Defense Department or how they work with stuff like that. Well, I'll tell you, some of the research I've done, you know, I I know that they they take things like that and will find a way to weaponize it. Well, they they had a lot of money for grants. I mean, because I looked at various government agencies because, you know, it's really hard to get money to to develop a a new technology. And uh, so I, like, looked at things that I thought would be more relevant, like the uh, National Institutes of Justice, which is part of the Department of Justice. Um, and, um, you know, they had very, very little money. 
<laughs> for grants, for research grants. Um, and the CDC and the NIH, uh, you know, there was uh, money for different kinds of things. They're really funding like drug development. But DARPA and DOD, any medical technology, they've got tons of funding announcements. I mean, really, they, uh, they, they put a lot of effort into finding medical technologies. And I'm, I'm sure you're right that they are basically looking for specific things that they have ideas about how to weaponize them in some way. Oh, no doubt about it. And uh, when you're looking at the other places, like, like what you said, that have the, the just a little bit of funding, uh, you got to remember the military, they, they have insiders in, you know, the political circles that will steer the funding their way more so than like some of these other lesser departments. It, it's all a matter of uh, what's the big revenue generator. Military is a huge yeah. revenue generator when you look at it. They, they got monies rolling in like mad, whereas, say, the Department of Justice or something like that may not necessarily have as much rolling in because a lot of that, uh, uh, I guess, goes to private sector, like prisons and stuff like that, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of the, the prisons are privately run from what my understanding is. I don't know. I, I don't know much about that. But, no, no, that you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, and actually, like one of the things uh, under Obama's administration uh, that occurred is they actually he contracted out private uh, facilities for like um, immigrants who were, you know, detained, uh, who were uh, looking for asylum or who were uh, being adjudicated for deportation. And uh, those have been all privatized as well. So it's big right, business. So big business. It, it is big business. So uh, it seems to me there's less government bureaucracy involved with that. Whereas the military, that's that's where they get their funding from lock, stock and barrel is government programs. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're not like a for business or for-profit kind of business like like these prison sy prison systems are so they're not generating their own income per se they're everything they're doing is through government grant or you know through taxpayer dollars and that kind of thing so they have a lot of this money at their disposal because of uh, you know their their lobbyists in Congress so they're the ones that have the money to throw around towards you know these more radical medical projects that things like that that you would call not something that's directly like a say a new drug manufacturing thing or right. something like that so this is where a lot of the monies come from and they they always want first dibs on anything new that comes out the, the military they always get first dibs on it well you know it's interesting now i'm thinking back and i hadn't made this connection before but you know what the big buzzwords were that everyone was funding back then it was biometrics Right. This was the era of the uh, of the Apple Watch, or I forget the technology that preceded that. Right, the Fitbit. That's what it was, the Fitbit. Right, and it was all about biometrics and what's going on right now. Right, they have the, they call it contact tracing, but it's really you know biometrics. They're monitoring our health status and then using that to you know grant or deny privileges. So. I wonder if, you know, the real push from the government to uh, to fund that research was really related to the current operation. I don't doubt it for an instant because biometrics, that's that's a big time thing right there. That, that's something that they're they're rolling out right now. I mean, this is what they're doing. They're collecting biometric information. That's what this whole covid thing's all about when it comes down to it. They're collecting all your biometric data, all your genetic data, all of that. It's going to go into a giant database. Uh, so a you blockchain think based utility you saying so you that think the that information the, uh, doesn't get lost Wayne you think the covid tests are actually a clandestine way to get just genetic information about you 
You think? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think the even the RNA that it's supposed to test for is actually our own. You know, the sequence that it, that it's, you know, they say on the face value that it's testing for. But certainly, you know, the samples provided would contain more DNA than that. Yes, they would, wouldn't they? And where, where's all this going? That's one thing I haven't had time to really research yet. I'm sure want... this is going into a centralized utility, probably something run by maybe World Health Organization, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's different things out there people could look at if you you think this is you know just way out there or whatever look up something called the global alliance for genomics and health uh they've been collecting genetic data from people for quite a while now and uh it's it's put into a a blockchain utility and this is accessible by researchers uh, around the world now they they claim that uh your information is is kept secret they always by, do uh, what right. they do is it's they de-identified they right <laughs> Right. They, they, they assign something called a GUID or a global unique identifier number. So all your biometric data that they've collected or genetic material data that they've collected, they identify with this number. They put it in the database that these researchers could access. And, you know, boom, lo and behold, they, they don't know who you are, but they, they know basically everything about your physical makeup. So and this is all tied into a blockchain utility. So when you look at it from that perspective and then you take the take on it where uh, they're loading it through an artificial intelligence grid. If you, you think for one instance, the artificial intelligence can't figure out who you are, you're sorely mistaken. So your information is going into this, uh, this blockchain utility. Uh, that way, the information never gets fully lost. It's, it's there always for time immemorial. So that's, that's something that they're working on heavily with this. So, uh, and this, this model actually used by the Global Alliance for Genomics and Health is based on something here in the States, uh, and it ties directly into autism research here. So uh, that's something people could look at, too. And, and this I write about in my, my book, The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. Uh, this is another way this all relates together. So this is basically what they're doing. They're collecting people's data, uh, their genetic data, their biometric data. Uh, it all has to do with a very old cybernetics plan, and uh, this is this is the utility they're using. They're collecting your data. It's the information. It's the information age. It's the age of big data, and that's what they're doing. They're they're even collecting down to your biologic biologic material. So, so it's this, just this just like Gattaca, isn't it? That science fiction movie, right? Yeah, it was funny. When I first saw that, I was like, that's going to happen if it's not already. I remember saying that to the fe- yeah, people I went been to the going theaters on with. for a long time. Yep. I was like, that strikes a little too close to reality, in, in my opinion, and that movie's like 20-some years old now, I think. Yeah, at least. By the way... Yeah, do... well, anyway, it's a lot of heavy stuff, but, you know, don't don't be mistaken by this whole thing. This is what it's about. It's not about anybody's health. It's not about public health. This whole thing... For a whole other set of reasons, so just so people understand. Dr. Kaufman, would you like to discuss anything about the testing, since that seems to be one of the biggest things that everybody's going off about, even the mainstream? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, actually, um, if, let me bring up a document, because I was talking about this before, and uh, I want to mention about the the antibody test, because uh, that seems to be, you know, this is the test that you can get an answer from uh, much quicker because the PCR test, which was the original uh, genetic test, um, 
it takes uh, sometimes up to two weeks, uh, apparently, to get the result because they have to run so many cycles in order to amplify the RNA uh, to make a positive result. So uh, this is the antibody test, and it was authorized by the FDA, which is different from being approved. And this was uh, authorized on March 20th uh, in a very much of a hurry. And uh, there's a letter from the FDA to the manufacturer, which it goes by the name of uh, Cephid or Cephid, uh, C-E-P-H-E-I-D. So people can actually look up this document on FDA.gov. Um, so I'm giving the reference. Uh, hopefully it's clear to everybody. And, it, and so I'm going to read one sentence in here uh, that really says it all. And it says, based on the totality of scientific evidence available to FDA, it is reasonable to believe that your product may be effective in diagnosing COVID-19. So they used basically three words, reasonable, believe, and may be effective to, to make sure that they tell you that, that they don't know what the heck it's testing for. Well, none of that and is definitive language. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it's three times removed from anything real. And so you're going to get a test that, you know, may be effective, it's believed, uh, possibly, right? So uh, I, I wouldn't take those odds um, <laughs> if I were you. <laughs> because, because if you get labeled positive, and that's going to go into a database, uh, probably several databases, it's definitely going to get reported to a local health authority, and then it's going to go up the food chain. Uh, you know, to the CDC and other agencies. Um, so, so Wayne, this is even, you know, besides any clandestine testing that they might do on your blood sample uh, for this test, um, it's just going to be inaccurate and then gonna, you're going to put be put on a list um, somewhere. You know, I yeah. just had a crazy conspiracy thought. Is there anything else they could be uh, testing for or looking for or doing anything with these tests since they've got a gazillion people shaking in their underpants? about this whole thing and running out to get tests in their at their local establishment? Well, of course there could be, but you know, I mean, what would, you know, you'd have to know what the purpose, what they wanted to know uh, was, you know, obviously, you know, also, you know, with respect to what Wayne was saying before, I think it's really easy to collect a lot of DNA samples from people. Uh, you know, like they did have that, those companies that they're still around like 23andMe where people, you know, want to find out about their, you know, ancestry if you believe that you can find that out from, from genes. But, uh, you know, they voluntarily basically give up all their genetic data uh, to some, you know, organization and then pay them money. And you know that the value on the secondary market of that information is going to be much bigger. It's just like you know, when you sign up for social media, they make all, all most of their money uh, from selling your your information. Um, so that that is really valuable. Like data is one of the most valuable things. But if you wanted to get DNA samples, um, you know, you could just uh, like take it right off of a drinking glass at a restaurant. You know, you can get it from us. I mean, the, even those tests like 23andMe, all they do is put a Q-tip in your uh, in your mouth. Right and rub it on your cheek, and there you go. That's all you need. So very simple. You know, you could take it off people's toothbrushes, or there's all sorts of ways uh, to get it if you really wanted it. You wouldn't necessarily need a blood sample, but that certainly would be. You know, you could once you have blood, you could do all kinds of testing on it, and uh, you know, you just have to have the right uh, infrastructure in order to get that done. 
I think there's an added element to the whole thing, though. I, I think there's something proprietary uh, about it, too, with the, the collection of the, the DNA sampling uh, through something like this COVID test. Um, from what I recall, I think it's about uh, putting a copyright pretty much on your, on your genome. I think that's what it's about. Somebody else will own the copyright of your genome. You know, I, I've heard it's, Alex Jones scream it's about an that interesting a lot years thought. ago. That that's one yeah, of the things that I mean, could be done with it. I think that might be, I think that might be an aspect to this, and this might be one of the reasoning why they would go about it in this fashion. So this way they could put a name to the uh, the material, because if you're just collecting a random sample from somebody somewhere, something off a toothbrush, or you're going to get a lot of contamination or, or drinking glass, and you might not necessarily know you know, who is the person that that material belongs to. Well, this is a way to really put a name to it and put something proprietary on it and uh, maybe copyright your genome or something. Uh, I think that might have play in as a factor to this, too. I know it might sound a little out there for people, but... Well, maybe it, it, it could become the new birth certificate. Maybe. Wait. Right? Maybe. A digital identification that's tied to your, uh, what would they call that, like a biometric kind of thing? Well, you know, I mean, because the paper, like the way law works uh, up to now, right, is that everything is done on paper, right? That's This is why we have uh, paper currency, right? And you have certificates and certificates represent financial instruments. But we're moving to a completely digitized world, right? And at some point it, it would be, uh, uh, seems inevitable that paper is going to go away. So they need to figure out um, how to represent the the paper in the new system. So, you know, I haven't fully thought this through because uh, I need to have more conversations with Wayne. But but Wayne, you know, like you get me thinking, like could could they somehow use the signature of your your specific unique genetic sequence as a way to to, you know, have a certificate, a digital certificate to represent your, you know, your franchise. Um, it's a, it's a very compelling uh, idea. I'll have to investigate it. Right, and that's a, another thing they're talking about, a certificate of vaccination ID that goes along with this whole COVID idea. So that's tying right into it, too. And then you couple in the fact that uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft is uh, it just uh, released a patent on March 26th that they filed for with you know in, in the World Patent Court. Uh, with, which is actually patent number 060606. Yes. For anybody that's interested in looking this How up. How obnoxious. Uh, about about uh, tying cryptocurrency to a biological system like this. So if you're rolling in the money system with your whole identity, everything all together, social identity score, you name it, you name it, and have it tied to an artificial intelligence control system uh, that, that tracks you through a uh, blockchain utility, so none of the information ever gets lost. So everything you do from time immemorial is recorded through this artificial intelligence system, through this cloud system. Uh, they know everything about you and, you know, right down to how much money's in your bank account based upon your genetic material. And that's what it's all about in my estimation. So uh, I think that may play a role into what's going on with this. Like I said, as far as the proprietary part of it, uh, whereas they own the copyright to your genome and have actually could tie the currency system right to it. So there's your reward system and also tie the social credit system, which, you know, has been implemented in China and is 
it, it's here now, guys. Don't don't make no mistake about it. It's actually here in the U.S. It's just not public knowledge yet that they have this this uh, utility for you, this social credit utility. But uh, that's coming soon too, and I think this all ties together with that. You know, extending that further, Wayne and and everybody, uh, that's almost an extension of maritime admiralty law, where they're they're already laying claim to your body and your labor through the the old paperwork. Now they're just doing it through a pretty much unhackable thing because everyone would technically be unique, I would think, right? It would make the identification to the person specific, and it couldn't really be copied. I, I I guess. I mean, it's for, for some reason they say blockchain can't be, but I don't know enough about the technology to back that up. But they're, if they're going to copyright it, that's just them laying further ownership to your body, just like they've been doing to us for decades already. Oh, yeah, I think that plays a part to it. Uh, that's just my views on it. I mean, I can't 100% prove any of this, but uh, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence out there uh, just showing the direction this is going if we let it go. And that's why I think we need to just stand up and say something at this point because they're they're steamrolling us right now with this whole COVID thing, with the lockdown and everything else. While they're quietly out there uh, putting up the five G infrastructure, and here we are trapped in our homes and going out putting masks on our faces and you know just bowing down to what they're telling us to do. So it, it's it's a, a bit disturbing on the face of it, but. Uh, I don't think it's beyond uh, being turned around at this point, though. By the way, Dr. Kaufman, I got a uh, an email question the other day. I figured I'd throw this at you as well. Um, I had a question for Dr. Kaufman, or maybe something you can hit. Uh, you and you and me, Wayne. Uh, I know you know a bit about this. I feel like I have more gallons, but when I researched this, there were a lot of bad things written about it. It seems like it's mass hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh i see that those kind of bad things now this is the uh the the uh parasite thing where you think you have parasites on your skin yeah right under your skin Morgellons. yeah so this uh i've actually you know th that that's a relatively new name for it but uh this uh kind of condition has been dealt with in medicine and psychiatry uh, ever since i was uh you know trained in the field and um, there's different names. They called it like delusional parasitosis and things like that. And I've had a couple of patients uh, with this issue. Uh, but I, did, I didn't follow them uh, in the long term. I just like saw them briefly in the hospital or, or a jail setting. But, uh, you know, I think it's quite interesting and, and it could actually represent parasites. Um, so I haven't worked with anyone with this issue. I'd be, you know, interested or happy to uh, consult with someone. I could learn more about it that way. But, you know, I think there's uh, definitely some confusion about what's writ written about it. And mainstream medicine would definitely take something like this and, and claim it as a psychosomatic uh, type of reaction. And that's probably what the uh, person who, who wrote the question was concerned about. But uh, I, I think it uh, could be very a real experience. And, you know, a lot of illnesses are, can be related to parasites, which... Generally, the parasites are opportunistic, and they only hang around when there's a lot of toxicity uh, in the body. And, uh, you know, why they might affect the skin uh, may be because it's a relatively safe place for them to be, like it's not a vital organ or it's uh, not likely to be uh, disrupted uh, by the toxins or the parasites, so it could be related to that. 
um, and most likely uh, doing some kind of cleansing would be, uh, the, you know, the thing that would work uh, the best uh, to relieve it. But, you know, I, I would definitely have to know more details about the individual situation to say so. But, you know, if you're really experiencing that type of a symptom, um, you know, it, it's a real thing. It's not uh, all in your head and, and it's worth uh, looking into uh, some alternative answers to figure out how to address it. Wayne, you have you, have you had any uh, experience with that, Clive? Uh, yes, I've had four clients with that. Uh, the first one um, was this guy, and he said, um, I've got little threads of what seem like metallic wire coming out of my body. And he said, look, I've got one coming out of my penis right now. Would you like to have a look? And I, well, no, not, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass. Um, <laughs> Hard pass there. Uh, you mentioned um, Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and one of one of the videos I got up on my channel is actually about brain parasites, where Jennifer talks about brain parasites. And um, certainly for the the people that I've uh, consulted with, who say they have they have Morgellons, they are one hundred and one percent convinced that they've got it. And, you know, who am I to doubt that? But, I mean, one of the really interesting ones is Toxoplasmosis gondii. You know that one, the one that's passed between rats and cats, where, or rats, or mice and cats, where the, uh, the, the mouse or the rat loses fear of cats and will go right up to them, and then they get eaten. <laughs> and they've discovered it's uh, transmissible to humans, and they did a study of young men who died in motorcycle accidents. And it turned out that where normally the ratio of people with uh, toxoplasmosis gondii is quite small, that on, uh, uh, in the brains of the young men who died in motorcycle accidents, and clearly as a motorcycle accident, they were being reckless the way they were driving the motorcycle, right? Just like the mouse or the, the rat is reckless and goes in front of the cat. It seems that, you know, you, you get the right type or the wrong type of toxin in the brain and it severely changes your whole mental approach to life. But Morgellons, as far as I can see, it's certainly real in the minds of the people who've got it. So will this be a physiological thing as well as a psychological thing, hypothetically? Well, I was working with a medical doctor who was convinced he had it and he was showing me these skin lesions and uh, you know, he, he was convinced that it was Morgellons, but at the same time, um, you know, as a, perhaps a surprising number of medical doctors are, he was also a heroin addict mm. and was you know, self-medicating. And by the time that he had these skin lesions, he was also smoking crack. And um, I felt that actually it was smoking crack that was doing it not not the, understandably uh, so <laughs> clive you made a good point because uh you know uh doctors uh have high rates of addiction and suicide like some of the highest rates for for any profession but what you said about toxoplasma that that is really uh interesting because it's also um highly prevalent in people with schizophrenia 
And, uh, you know, I think that actually uh, at least some cases of schizophrenia are due to parasites, and I think this is one of the major ones, but there are several studies that show uh, a very high prevalence, like 60-70% of people have evidence of toxoplasmosis uh, in schizophrenia. And, of course, mainstream medicine has not taken that seriously at all or addressed it. you know, I one time was working with uh, a client, uh, natural healing wise, and uh, he was doing really, really well on a very uh, strict cleansing diet, and then just kind of couldn't sustain it and didn't want to go to the next step, and decided to go to a regular doctor, and was you know telling the regular doctor about you know uh, that that he was concerned it might be a parasite because of what he was talking to me and mentioned toxoplasma, and then. You know, they wanted to, like, do a bunch of lab tests and give toxic antiviral drugs. (laughs) And I said, I don't recommend that. But, but, you know, I I think it is quite a significant uh, factor that, you know, parasites we don't look at. And we we all have parasites living in our body right now. Like, yeah, I don't think you can be completely free of them, but they're not. Uh, you know, they, they only get to a level that can cause disease when we leave, you know, basically a lot of trash in our bodies uh, to, uh, to allow them to multiply and attract more. Well, there is the argument that actually the body invites the parasites to clean up the toxic metals. Right. And I think there is that possibility. Yeah, I agree that they can uh, definitely serve a role like that, too. Is there evidence that the uh, parasites actually consume the heavy metal toxins, which obviously would be a lot worse and as the industrial age came in and God only knows what we're being hit with these days. So I haven't heard that there's evidence as such. I think it's more, more a theory, but, but when I heard it, that I felt that might be the case. I mean, you know, uh, Jason, as you know, the uh, autistic children, uh, their, their level of parasites is incredible. I, I would go as far as to say probably, possibly every autistic child has got parasites. When I talk to the parents, you know, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, do you ever see worms in the school? And it's surprising how many do. Wayne, do you have anything you could add to that? I've never seen worms in uh, my children's stool. I do have uh, two children on the autism spectrum. Uh, but uh, the uh, parasite problem is a well-documented thing within autism, as is the, the whole uh correlation to the heavy metal toxicity and and that kind of thing along with it too uh it's been shown that uh people who have autism who've been biopsied i believe or uh, what's the word the term the autopsy they've done a study where they were able to show that these uh people with autism had high levels of aluminum in their brain structure same thing goes with alzheimer's too yeah and i think there's a correlation there and there's also uh some work of some different doctors out there who've related uh, uh, an MTHFR gene mutation to being one of the factors that could contribute to why that uh, people on the autism spectrum tend to have this this uh, higher percentage of aluminum in their brains and, and how this could relate to the whole vaccination thing because uh, it leaves them uh, their bodies less able to filter out those heavy metals. So it's one of those things where uh, there's a lot of different crossover here. Uh, with a lot of different things that I've looked at. And as far as parasites go, especially the Toxoplasma gondii, there was also a correlation, I think, to the RH factor when we did our RH show, Jason, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think we had showed that uh, RH negative had some 
resistance to this Toxoplasma gondii. So that's an interesting thing to look at, too. I don't know, like, how that would necessarily relate to something like, say, autism and, and this kind of thing. But uh, there's there's definitely something to the whole uh, parasite thing. It's it's definitely a problem that is far greater reaching than anybody in the medical field is willing to look at. So it, it's something that I think we need to find some definitive answers to, like how treatment plans and stuff like that, how to get rid of a lot of these things. Uh, as far as the, the Morgellons link to it all, if anybody is interested in finding uh, Morgellons research, uh, go to Carnicom Institute, carnicominstitute.com. Clifford Carnicom has uh, collected all sorts of data from people suffering from Morgellons, and he has a whole database of information about that, different, uh, different ways to uh, process out the toxins from the body that uh, they believe are related to it and different causative factors they believe are related to it. So if anybody is is looking, is suffering from this condition and is looking for some answers, I would recommend uh, just take a look at carnicominstitute.com. So it, it's it's out there for people who, uh, who are interested in the information. Wayne, just to pick up on a point you made, like where you compared um, Alzheimer's to autism uh, related to metal toxicity, right, specifically aluminum, I think that's a, a good point to illustrate like how our healthcare system comes up with all of these different categories and labels and wants to say that these things are distinct uh, illnesses and conditions. And uh, I think it's actually the same exact disease, it's just at a different life stage or a different, uh, you know, chronicity, right? Like Alzheimer's is from a whole lifetime of aluminum exposure, whereas uh, autism is most likely from a, uh, a big dose of it in a short period of time, right? And that most of the people of the age to have Alzheimer's disease, they had much fewer vaccinations when they were children, you know, if any at all. And so now we're seeing acceleration of this neurodegeneration from the metal toxicity. And I, I would lump in a lot of other conditions. I mean, of course, not everybody like, like Clive had that example before of a patient with MS from electromagnetic radiation. So not everybody is diagnosed properly. Um, and there might be a few different things going on, but I think largely most of these neurologic diseases, MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and other dementias, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, autism, uh, you know, uh, and toxic encephalitis that can occur with right after like hepatitis B vaccine. I think these are all due to uh, heavy metal toxicity primarily. And that they're like, you're exactly right. There are some people that have more vulnerabilities and there's also correlated to um, like uh, for vaccines specifically, like if the vac if administering the vaccine is uh, traumatizing uh, it, it's more likely to cause uh, to get the metals up to the brain at the time of the injection. Like, so if you're in a situation where the child's already been vaccinated and they, they know what it's like, and so they're not very cooperative and they're fighting and screaming and you have to have like a nurse and a parent hold them down and then they jab, you know, a bunch of syringes into their thighs, that is going to cause um, an immune response that's going to bring the, the metal right to the brain. Um, so 
that's a very kind of a, you know dangerous situation and creates a lot more vulnerability. But in in addition to the other host factors, which you know maybe maybe genetic, maybe environmental as well, like uh, children that have you know certain types of nutrition versus other types of nutrition, or how often uh, you know uh, they're they're using the bathroom or what their what their like uh, innate detox is like, uh, all those different factors. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a whole lot to it. And then, you know, you throw something into the mix, like, say, uh, something like, uh, you know, aluminum nanoparticles that are under the size of 200 nanometers. And uh, they have a uh, a special coating on them of, uh, say, uh, well, what's the material I'm looking for here? Uh, I, I just lost the word. I was just thinking about it, but I lost the word. Po- polysorbate uh, 80. Yeah, polysorbate 80 or some other phospholipid. Uh, and there's there's actual research papers and stuff. Oh, like on a this, talking about it. Yeah, like a phospholipid-coated uh, na- aluminum nanoparticle as an adjuvant for vaccines. They, they talk about it. Uh, it's out there in the open literature. If oh, you really? Well, that, into, would, yeah. that, that would help it get inside cells. Precisely, and that's how I think it gets to the brain so so readily because they they use a lot of these uh, materials as vaccine adjuvants right now. So uh, when you're talking about something like a phospholipid coated uh, aluminum nanoparticle, uh, yeah, I mean it's it does yeah, so, absorb so into Wayne, itself happens, readily. Yeah, well, what you know the reason why they put aluminum in there is because if you put a toxic foreign substance into the body, your body's going to make antibodies. And the more toxic the substance is, the more antibodies it'll make. And that's why they started, you you know, that's why they continued to use aluminum after the initial uh, findings, because it just, you know, amplifies the amount of antibody. And that's how they get vaccines approved, by showing that they inject something and then can demonstrate an antibody. They don't actually test if it prevents a disease and have never tested that or shown that. Uh, but they're just trying to make these antibodies. But the what happens to it um, when it goes into the body is like the, the body wa- recognizes it as, as toxic right away and doesn't really know what to do with it because we didn't, uh, you know, we weren't uh, in our natural environment. There's not a lot of aluminum around. Uh, aluminum, you know, comes from mining out of the earth and it's actually very difficult to mine. It creates a lot of toxic waste, including fluoride. Yeah. Which is right. Thanks, Bernays. Uh, <laughs> but um, right. yeah, that's a major uh, marketing trick there. So once it gets in the body, your body tries to wall it off uh, into a, what's called a granuloma, which is just a, basically a capsule that has a thick membrane around it. And so your immune cells, like the monocytes and macrophages that just gobble things up, they probably you know gobble up these aluminum uh, nanoparticles that uh, may be liposomal, and then they store it you know in this capsule. Uh, to contain it. But uh, in that situation where I described that, so like a traumatic vaccine administration, in that situation, it doesn't do that. In that situation, it sends the immune cells up into the brain through the uh, lymph system. And basically, they get up there and then they're responding, you know, to, to a possible danger and they kind of in- innocently bring the aluminum with them, like piggyback it to that site. And then ending up releasing it there, and usually most of that is right in the area where the uh, cranial nerve roots are. Um, and so that's why some of the most early signs you can see would be like the crooked eyes and crooked faces in various ways, 
because that's the right part of the brain where those nerves come out of that control those parts of your faces. And uh, the lymphatic system is only on one side of the brain, so that's why you see the deficit on only one side of the face, and it makes it crooked instead of symmetric. Wow. Uh, someone was asking right. how, over the course of someone's life, in an old person, they'd have so much of uh, aluminum collected throughout the body. I, I think I could take a couple of guesses, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> aluminum foil, aluminum pans, yeah. aluminum geoengineering spray. Stupid amounts of uh, flu, sh flu shots and vaccinations throughout their life. Yeah. God only knows what's in the, the shit that they're dumping on us day after day after day. Right. Soda cans, beer cans. Underarm deodorant. Oh, good one, Clyde. Yeah, yep. I stopped using that crap ages ago. I use a natural... Uh, I forget what they use, clay or something. I don't know. Uh, I had one yeah, more that question. Might, I wanted that might to be messy. <laughs> no, no, it's a real deodorant. It's just uh, aluminum and zinc oxide free or whatever the heck the other thing that they they put in it is. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I think I've got enough heavy metals. Uh, I'll stick to Iron Maiden for my heavy metal. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, we have a question from the great Baldini. I want to throw at you before we sign off for the night. I have several friends who work in healthcare and a couple of pharmacists who are woke. Some are having crisis of conscience about doing their job during this since they know it's bullshit. They're asking my advice, and I have said that they are there for such a time as this, do no harm, and be the voice of reason when everyone else is tripping. They can just help with uh, harm reduction. What advice would you give them? This is a tough one. Um, because, you know, uh, like I would, I would be the one to take risks to do the right thing. And I don't know if, uh, most people are willing to do that, yeah. you know, but, um, but I, there's no way I could be, you know, around a hospital where they're playing out this, uh, you know, this, this whole production. Uh, so, you know, maybe one easy thing is you could just, uh, call in and tell them that you're sick with, uh, with COVID and then they'll, they'll give you, they'll give you plenty <laughs> you of time them, right? Like you don't yeah, want me well, around those people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you know they'll give you a minimum of two weeks off, and maybe things will blow over by then. But uh, I, I, you know, I if it were me, I couldn't continue to work in that setting. I would have to. I would have to make a change in my career. That's really the only way I could handle it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, is there anything else you would like to get out, Doctor Kaufman, or shall we uh, start wrapping her up? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I've said enough tonight, probably more than enough. <laughs> I'd like to add one thing about the do no harm, you know, the, the Hippocratic Oath, you know, for one thing, Hipp uh, Hippocrates was well known for being a hypocrite. And as Jennifer Daniels first pointed out to me, you know, the Hippocratic Oath says first, do no harm, but it doesn't make any reference to what you do second. Second means do harm. <laughs> do what you like after the after you first not done me right he, he didn't hippocrates also say let food be thy medicine exactly wait are you talking about that crazy nutrition stuff again like it actually helped your body or something <laughs> i'm pretty sure most doctors don't go there <laughs> but hey they'll gladly get you a pill yeah well they could even uh, have a pill that has uh, nutrition in it right you know, I'm surprised they haven't tried to come up with that yet. Well, they, they do have a can. Uh, you know, they call it Elemental Nutrition. And uh, they, do, they do actually use this sometimes, like for uh, people with Crohn's disease. Um, and, uh, you know, supposedly it, it tastes like li liquid metal. 
Sounds dreadful. Yum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> awful, awful stuff, and definitely not the right way to deal with Crohn's disease, in my opinion. <sighs> well, this has been a great chat. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time. Let's go around the, the thing here. And, uh, Clive, why don't you once again say who you are, where people can find your work and all that. And it sounds like Crow and I will be speaking with you very soon. Well, I very much look forward to that. I, I would love, love to be on the show. So my name is Clive DeCarl. And my website is my name with a dot something at the end. And uh, I do consultations just like Andy. And uh, I, I have a little tiny supplement company where I try and sell the best supplements on the planet. And I've also got a private website, uh, which is um, the Secret Health Club. And if people go onto my website, Clive to Carl something, uh, they can find the Secret Health Club and they can join up because basically uh, I can talk about most things, but there are one or two things that I really can't publicly talk about, mainly because I've had, had one or two threats that I haven't liked very much. And But behind a club, you can say things legally that you can't necessarily get away with otherwise. So the Secret Health Club is, is quite a fun thing. And uh, the idea was that, you know, I... I I, I watch an awful lot of videos, like probably most of us do, and every now and then I find one that this is, this is genius, you know, like Andy Kaufman's made a couple that I thought were really good, and, um, you know, the thing is that there's so much information, which is wonderful, you know, everything you could possibly need to know is out there on the internet, but there's so much, how can you work out what to watch, you know, so suddenly, you know, granddad or granny has got Alzheimer's, well, what do you do? You know, there are a million videos out there, so I, I decided I'd create the Secret Health Club with the view of trying to get it right down to, to what you really need to know, like a good DJ plays you the songs you really want to hear at the right time. And so, you know, the Secret Health Club is, is, is I think, a, a rather good resource. I'm quite, quite pleased with this. I mean, to, just to give you one snapshot, on the babies section, I've got videos which show you that babies, when they're born, on the first day they're born, have five words that they can say. They're very subtle sounds, but you can hear these sounds. It happens before they cry. And there are babies now where the parents have learned what these five sounds are, so they know if the baby's hungry or the baby's tired or whatever it is. So there are children who essentially have almost never cried because they haven't needed to, because their parents could hear what they were saying. And I put out another video recently about uh, a friend of mine who is a psychic, uh, just incredible. And she, she teaches children how to see without their eyes. So she blindfolds them, and with some of the children, within five minutes, they can read and write without their eyes. And the children describe it as they're able to see using their inner light. And it's not just seeing without their eyes that they can do. It sharpens them right up so that they can hear better. You know, it's just incredible. So you know, as I say, that, that's the resource that I'm most proud of, you know, the work that I've done that I'm most pleased with, the Secret Health Club. And if you look up the Secret Health Club on the web, on Google, you won't find it because it's secret. You have to go through my website, which is something. So yeah, that's it. All right. Dr. Andrew Kaufman, where can you be found? 
Yeah, thanks. Well, uh, Clive, let me just uh, say that that sounds really uh, fascinating, and I, I have heard about that research about the baby's cries, um, and that's it's really good stuff. And uh, he can be found at clivedecarl.com in case anybody uh, wants to find him out there. Uh, so I'm Dr. Kaufman, and um, I you please come and check out my uh, YouTube channel. Some of the videos that we mentioned tonight are on there, especially the latest one where I uh, talk about Cox postulates, uh, have they been satisfied for uh, viruses, which is uh, mirrored on Secrets of Saturn. So you can watch it either place. And if you're interested in consultation or uh, uh, have a question for me or want to uh, help out with my research, uh, please uh, find me at andrewkaufmanmd.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-K-A-U-F as in Frank, M-A-N-M-D, like medical doctor, dot com. And uh, Jason, thanks so much for uh, inviting me on the live stream. It's always uh, a real fun time, and uh, you always, you and Wayne always have a lot of good uh, things to say, and it's great that Baldini at least got a question in tonight because I miss uh, having him to chat with as well. <laughs> Thank you for being here, uh, Clive and Dr. Kaufman. You're always welcome back. Wayne, in case we have some new folks out there, why don't you let everyone know who you are and what you do? All right. First of all, just wanted to thank both uh, Andy and Clive for, for being on the show here. Uh, been a real pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, Clive, I'd love to talk to you again sometime soon. Uh, Andy, uh, a serious question for you before we go any further here. Uh, when Jerry the King Lawler broke your neck, did you, you start believing <laughs> that professional wrestling was real then? <laughs> but that's what just made me want to only wrestle women. Oh my goodness! Do you Sorry, know how many jokes I I've, to, I've I'm had sure to field for that? All before, but <laughs> I'm sure well, you know, you've heard it all people, before. But people keep saying they try to they try to search for me, and if you put in Andy Kaufman, they get the comedian Andy Kaufman. So they realize they have to put in Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a sudden yeah, urge Andy. to dress up as Tony Clifton, do you? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> That'd be great, right. actually. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, people know where to find me, uh, you know, for the most part. Uh, files from the Conspiratorium on Facebook, uh, alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com if people want to get in touch with me. I have books out there on Amazon or at pretty much any other fine book retailer at this point. And also I can be found every week here at Secrets of Saturn. And if anybody has any trouble getting a hold of me any of those ways, you can always contact Jason or uh, hit up Crow over at Crow 777 Radio and they can get a message to me so it's as easy as that i don't really like sell anything or do any consultations of any type because i'm just a regular joe i don't have any phds or doctorates or anything of that sort so i'm not really qualified to, to you know answer anybody's questions per se but yeah uh, you know that's where you can find me so all right well my name is jason lindgren in case you don't know uh this is my channel secrets of saturn i do sometimes uh my own one-on-one -on -one podcasts, but been switching over to this format lately just because it's a lot easier and more fun, too, actually. But you can always find me every week uh, as the co-host of Crow 777 Radio. Crow and I have been releasing two episodes a week as of late just to help everyone get through these really ridiculous things that are going on right now. Uh, tomorrow we'll be releasing an episode with Mr. Mark Devlin. And on Saturday we'll be releasing an episode with a farmer, interesting gentleman named Misha Papa from Canada, who's going to talk a bunch of stuff about Monsanto and Bayer and all that sort of thing. And uh, we're going to get it from a real farmer's point of view. So everyone, thank you for being here. We had one hell of a turnout. 
Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining me, and we will see everyone next week. Yeah.
We're all too soon.